You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. The scripture reading today is from the book of Matthew. John, sorry, the book of John, uh, 20, 19 through 29. It was the evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who is called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nail in his hands, and put my fingers in the mark of the nails, and my hands in his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable to you. O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, today is the second Sunday of Easter, and in churches everywhere, they are talking about doubting Thomas. We just heard the scripture. The disciples are all gathered together, all of them but Thomas, and Jesus appears and shows them his hands and his side. And afterwards, they see Thomas, and they tell him that they saw Jesus, but he doesn't believe them. And so he says that he wants to see for himself. And then, later, Jesus appears to him, shows him his hands and his side, and Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And he goes down in history as the doubter, as if doubting is a bad thing. I mean, we all do it. We doubt from time to time. I know our confirmands. 
our confirmands, all of them, and those joining the church. Yes, I know that from time to time you have uh, gone through all of this stuff and probably had doubts. You've, we put an emphasis on you joining the church and making a commitment and writing a creed, and it's all important for this is your faith journey and you need to make it your own faith. But as I was recently reminded, our personal creeds can change over the years. And what you have written for today may not be all what, at all what you believe in two years because the reality is our faith ebbs and flows and we have doubts at times, but we're not alone in our doubts. Thomas doubted and so did many other people. Mother Teresa, in many of her letters, she frequently wrote about loneliness, not hearing from God, about personal hypocrisy and doubts in her own faith. John Calvin, the father of, one of the fathers of Protestantism, wrote, Surely while we teach that faith ought to be certain and assured, we cannot imagine any certainty that isn't tinged with doubt. Even Pope Francis wrote, Who among us, everybody, everybody, who among us has not in experienced insecurity, loss, and even doubts on their faith journey of faith? Everyone. We've all experienced this. Me too. We all have limits. Do not panic. We all have them. And even our own founder of the Methodist Church, John Wesley, when talking to young preachers, said, preach faith until you have it. Now, all of those people were leaders in the faith. They made huge contributions to Christianity, and all of them admit to having doubts. But we don't remember them for their doubts. We remember them for their teachings and for their ministry. Now, of course, Thomas wasn't afforded that same legacy. Thomas goes down in infamy as doubting Thomas. But Thomas also was there when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. And when it was time to return to Judea after that, uh, Thomas said, let us all go that we may die with him. Later in John 14, when Jesus is comforting the disciples, he tells them that he prepares a place for them, and it's Thomas who asks, Lord, how do we know the way? And that tees Jesus up for one of his most hopeful teachings. After Jesus' death, Thomas was not hiding in the upper room. After seeing Jesus, he became a missionary and spreads the gospel in India. And the book of Acts tells us that he was martyred there. And yet we remember him for that one moment of doubt. But here's the thing I've always wondered. Where was Thomas? When the others were in the upper room, what was Thomas doing? They're all hiding and he's not there. Where was he? Was he just, you know, catching up on paying bills, seeing the relatives that he couldn't see while he was following Jesus, just maybe going to the market and shopping for groceries? Or maybe he was out there doing what Jesus taught him to do. Jesus was gone, but he'd left them with a mission to serve others, to share God's love. Maybe Thomas was out doing that work. Maybe Thomas was full of doubt and grief. And so he thought, 
Maybe going out and being like Jesus would bring him comfort and rebuild his faith. The disciples were in the upper room. They were likely scared. They were likely feeling defeated. And Thomas wasn't there. Jesus spent his life serving others, working with his hands, so to speak. In Reckless Love, the book we read through Lent, Tom Berlin talks about Jesus' hands and says, Jesus shows us the hands and heart of love. Throughout the Gospels, we see his hands at work. He offers up his hands for the paralyzed man and healed him by his touch. He set a hand out to the woman caught in adultery and offers mercy. He lends a hand to his disciples to pass out bread as they feed 5,000. He places a hand on the mourning father as he weeps over his daughter's death before he heals her. He gets his hands dirty when he washes the disciples' feet. He's even-handed as he shares the first communion, serving disciples, even in including Judas. He folds his hands in prayer in the garden and his, wounded, and his hands are wounded with nails on the cross. He showed his pierced hands as proof of the resurrection. Maybe Thomas wasn't with the disciples anymore because he knew that someone had to continue to be the hands of Christ. Now look at your hands for a minute, everybody. Do you like them? I've always been somewhat self-conscious about mine, as a kid, I bit my nails, and maybe sometimes as an adult, too. They're always dry. I used to get warts on my left ring finger when I was young. And uh, with the, the necessity of online worship and watching throughout the pandemic, I became, became extremely aware of how large my hands look on the camera. <laughs> And yet I use them all the time, and not just to gesture during my sermons. I use them to hug someone or to pet my dog or to hold someone's hand by their bedside to swing a hammer or work with the dirt. When my children were little, I loved their fingers and how they would grip my, my finger or reach for a toy. Now, like your parents, I had dreams and expectations for what they would do with their hands. I knew they would hold my hand and they would grow to shake hands and give high fives and use their hands to write their name and do work and play a sport or an instrument and help others. And yet they also surprised me with their hands when they grabbed my cheeks when I was feeling sad or when they reached out to help their dad or by inventing games and building things that I never imagined. Now you all, you use your hands all the time to type on the computer, to throw a football, to play an instrument, to hold a lacrosse stick, to swim freestyle and balance yourself on the beam. Those are all good and important things and ways you use your hands. And there are ways we, who love you, enjoy seeing you use your hands. But confirmands, what I will remember is the impacts that your hands had this winter with your kingdom assignments, with which your hands created. With your hands, you created stepping stones and dog toys and coasters and prayer stones and magnets, and you made cookies and caramels and jewelry and keychains, and you collected up Legos, and you made phone calls and sent emails, and you wrote thank you notes. And you raised over $5,000 to help causes that were important to you. 
You did that. You used your hands and your talents and your passions and your gifts and you helped others. And I hope you never forget how good it feels to make a difference. My hope, my prayer, is that you have seen what God can do through you and that that has helped you to grow in faith. During World War II, the Allied forces bombed a city in Germany. And in that city was a statue of Jesus, and that statue was hit. The statue's head was decapitated, and the arms were blown off. After the war, they tried to find all the pieces. They found the head of Jesus under a slab of concrete, and an arm here and another arm there. Little pieces were discovered in different places. But the hands were nowhere to be found. They could affix the head back on to the statue, and they could put the arms back. But instead of worrying about the hands, they placed a sign around the statue's neck that said, Christ has no hands but yours. Maybe Thomas knew that. And so he went out to be Christ's hands. And maybe he thought with all this talk of resurrection, he'd meet Jesus in doing so. And maybe he did. Maybe in doing that work, he felt Jesus with him. When we are Christ's hands, when we are serving others, Christ meets us there, regardless of where we are in our faith. When we go out and we do the work of Jesus, the work of helping others and feeding the poor, working for clean water and making education available to all, sharing the gift of reading, helping the underserved and those with autism, caring for God's creatures big and small, we make the world better. We can't help but glimpse God with us and have our faith strengthened and our doubts lessened. There are a few things that we forget when we talk about Thomas. The first is that when Jesus came to him and Thomas asked to see his hands for proof of the nails, Jesus willingly offered them. And when he saw them, Thomas declared, my Lord and my God. And he was the first to do so, the first disciple, the first person to declare, my Lord and my God. So it's quite possibly one of the biggest and most important faith statements that's made. When we offer our doubts to Jesus, he willingly accepts them and helps us to find answers and grow. So don't ever be afraid to ask questions. It's not a sign of weakness or a lack of faith. It demonstrates a willingness to learn and to grow. It's in asking questions that we begin to find answers and learn from the experiences of others and grow in faith. And Thomas's story shows us that God wants us to ask. The second thing that we don't talk about with Thomas's story is that while the disciples were hiding out in the upper room and Thomas was, we think, maybe out doing the work of Jesus, Jesus appeared to the disciples in that upper room, and he immediately showed them his hands and his side. They didn't have to ask to see. Is it possible that maybe they were having just as many doubts as Thomas? We don't know, because before they had a chance to ask anything, Jesus showed them 
his hands. Remember, they were hiding, and Jesus knew that. Maybe he knew that they, too, needed to see. So he showed them. Everyone has doubts from time to time. That's a part of faith. And yet God still wants a relationship with us. That's the promise of our baptism, the gift of provenient grace. Remember, that's the grace that comes before, God's love that's with us, that is calling us to a relationship. God's love that's with us no matter what happens, no matter where we go. God will love us even if we don't love God back. God calls us to be the hands of Christ in the world. And in so doing, we help others and encounter Jesus as we work. And so as you go forward in your days, like I told you last night, this is not a graduation. This is a beginning. When you feel lonely or afraid or uncertain or doubtful, go out and do some good. Help someone, make a difference, because it will fill you with a sense of joy and remind you that Christ is, in fact, alive and with you. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.com dot o-r-g